It's Friday, May 27th. You're tuned into Real Talk. Studio's banging this morning. We got tunes cranked. We got the coffee going. The city is alive. The city, our home city of Edmonton, Alberta, is alive with the sound of a third round advancement. The Edmonton Oilers taking down the Calgary Flames in a spirited but... Is this real? Ice-tilted Battle of Alberta. My, my buddy Chivers and I were chatting this morning. Chivers, Lazzie, and I, we got this little, uh, you know, this group text where you've been talking about the Battle of Alberta. A fan from Calgary, a fan from Edmonton, and a fan stuck in the middle. And the review from Calgary this morning, the ice completely tilted as soon as we went up a few goals in game two. This from the Flames fans' perspective. I don't know what changed, he says. We just had no answer for the star power of the oil. He goes on to say Colorado Edmonton would be an unreal series. Colorado trying to get past St. Louis right now. Let's be honest. It's it's this guy right here in his celly last night. 97. Connor McDavid. Unbelievable. Lord and Savior. Oh, geez. Nick Jesus. Well, how about <laughs> Leon Dreisaitl, too, setting a Great record night. for points in the Great series, night. the most points, yeah. five games in a row with three points or more. Woo! Uh, a lot of other stuff going on, including some like painful real-life stuff, some, some stuff that we have to wrestle with and grapple with. But every once in a while, sports gives us that escape. And what fun it was last night to see the Edmonton Oilers shake that one off. Lose one, go down 9-6. You lose 9-6 in game one, and then you just win four in a row. No big deal. I feel like every game it was like against the ropes. Yeah, we win. It was yeah. just like it was back and forth. And look at these faces. Like yeah. these guys. Zach Hyman, Darnell Nurse, Evander Kane with an amazing series. Uh, I mean, like Zach Hyman, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Nuge got his finally. Unreal. Oh. And uh, so anyway, uh, amazing stuff. I guess this means that Calgary's Mayor Jody Gondek is going to be pacing painting her face orange and blue and yeah. Calgary's entire city council is going to be wearing Oilers sweaters, right? What and are the terms of the bet again, Johnny? They're right there. So the losing city council is going to wear the winning team's uh, gear to council and then the losing mayor, of course, Calgary's mayor, going to have to paint uh, orange and blue on Love her it. face and then uh, the losing team, Oilers, going to donate to a cancer... Or, sorry, the uh, Flames are going to donate to a cancer foundation in the winning team's name. It seems to me like Mayor Sohi from Edmonton should do the painting should do the face painting for Mayor Gondek down in Calgary. <laughs> like, he could actually do the designs, do a big oil drop, like, do it like a teardrop, like the oil drop down the cheek kind of thing. You Might know, not be that great. That'd be pretty good. Uh, we've got a great show coming up. We have an, our uh, our official, unofficial Real Talk correspondent, uh, Jillian E., is going to join us. Uh, you see her in the live chat all the time. She, wrote us, she writes us amazing emails all the time, and I was like, Jillian... I don't want to read your email. Just come on the show. Just come talk to us. And so she's making a Real Talk debut in just a bit. Sapria Devetti in a regular Friday spot. And then we blew up our plan. We had another roundtable locked and loaded. And then we blew up that plan because there's been a development that we don't typically spend a lot of time on this show. We know that we have an audience across the country, a big audience, obviously, in Western Canada and in our home province of Alberta. But we don't talk a lot about municipal issues, except for this story is different. Um, Alberta's justice minister, the Solicitor General, sending a letter to Edmonton's mayor about the crime downtown. It's been a story in the city of Edmonton over the past week or so. Actually, a tragic circumstance. If you didn't hear, two people just killed, murdered in Chinatown. Police say by the same person. Everybody's talking about crime in downtown Edmonton. So we've got three Edmonton city councillors that are going to join us, not just to talk about the crime rates, not just to talk about the letter from the province and what that did. Word is that there were some folks a little bit upset at Edmonton City Hall yesterday, but bigger picture. We'll get into it with uh, counselors Ann Stevenson, Sarah Hamilton, and Andrew Knack coming up. We're grateful that they've agreed to join us on short notice. This show happens because of sponsors like Bitcoin Well. 
we get feedback from you sometimes. We love when we do. And we get, you know, notes from people like Anne who wrote in and said, I thought you wanted, you might want to know about a withdrawal I made through Bitcoin well the other day. She says, as you may or may not know, putting funds in with Bitcoin's easy, but taking them out has been a real challenge for a lot of people. Not anymore, says Anne, not an employee of Bitcoin well, by the way, and not an employee of Real Talk. She says Bitcoin well makes it a seamless process. She says, you put in the request, you select what funds you want, Canada, U.S., whatever, give them your wallet information, email address, voila, it's done. She says, easy as pie, I would recommend it to anyone and everyone. Yes, they also answer questions about putting money in. I'm just saying, great company, great service. I'm thankful they're here in Alberta with a phone number if there's a challenge. That from Ann. Thanks for the email, Ann. You can find Bitcoin well under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. So, you know, earlier this week, the official French language debate held uh, with candidates seeking the leadership of the Federal Conservative Party. Uh, and I know that some real talkers were watching that. Sapria is going to chime in on it in just a few moments. We got an email from Jillian Essien, who's a great friend of this show. She's a Montrealer, born and raised. A McGill grad in biology, chemistry, and education. She lived in England for 10 years. She taught chemistry at an all-boys school. She's currently a French immersion math and science teacher here in Edmonton. Uh, she says in her bio, sadly, if not obviously as well, she's, she's a middle child. Uh, but Jillian grabbed, <laughs> grabbed all of our attention when, Jillian, you disclosed to us after our interview, our one-on-one with Jean Charest seeking the conservative leadership that you were so impressed with Mr. Charest that you went out and purchased a Conservative Party membership, and you've been paying closer attention to the race now. Welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us. It's nice to see your face. Thanks. It's an honor to be here. This is so cool. As you know, I've been, like, chatting to you by email for years. This is so cool. I'm so happy that I'm here, and you've got this show. This is amazing. Well, this is the first time that we've actually talked face-to-face, but I've called you a friend for a long time. I, I used to joke with people, when I had my show on the radio, on terrestrial radio, I used to have to change it up with your comments on the text line because otherwise I'd be accused of favoritism. I'd be reading them too much. And so you would either be Jillian, Jill, or G. And in some circumstances, you would have comments read back to back. You know, Jillian says this, G says that. So I've always appreciated your perspective, but I like it. You've come from Eastern Canada. You speak both uh, French and English. You're a mom. You're an educator. You come at this from a bunch of different angles. Uh, to refresh the audience memory, I did read your email a while back, but what was it in particular that prompted you to buy a CPC membership? What was it about Mr. Charest? Um, So, I, like I mentioned before, I'm a little bit biased because I grew up in Quebec and uh, under Charest as well, and things were definitely, you know, not terrible. Uh, Quebec is a different situation because in Quebec, it's all it's not so much about who you want to vote for at the time it was it either is separatist or those who are going to keep us in Canada so Shah did a good job with that and when he came on your show and he actually was proposing solutions as opposed to blaming Trudeau for everything and not having any ideas I was like okay I'm going to actually buy a membership for the first time and see if I can maybe help get someone with a different voice and some actual ideas into the leadership of the Conservative Party, just have an option. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I'm, I'm proudly independent. I'm a political nerd. I will read manifestos and policy documents and all of that. And then I choose which uh, parties line up with my values. So um, 
I, it's not, it doesn't mean I will vote conservative, but I want a choice. We haven't really had a choice. And you're, so you're, you're, you're like me and you're like, I bet millions of other Canadians, um, where our vote is up for grabs, right? I mean, have you voted for different political parties in past? Like, um, did I do something to my mic, Johnny? There we go. Have you voted for different political parties in past? Like you may vote for one party and then four years later vote for a different one. Yeah. And funny enough, growing up in Quebec, you didn't you didn't really have a choice. You literally voted for who, whatever party was not the separatist party. But then coming out of Quebec, I definitely have voted for different parties. Uh, living in England, I voted conservative. I voted the liberal equivalent. And here I voted NDP. I wouldn't vote NDP federally, but NDP here is definitely not uh, left party in my view. So I voted for them because I consider them more centrist. So my vote as a good Quebecer, my vote is always up for grabs. Okay, good stuff. So th- there's a there's a, obviously sort of a different dynamic. Um, there's different issues discussed. There's a different vibe, maybe different implications when it comes to a French language debate. What were some of the key things you were looking for heading into the debate this week? I was looking for... Uh, the politicians actually say the same things in the French debate as they were saying in the English debate, which in the past wasn't always the case. And I think now they actually know that uh, voters are paying attention and they, they made sure they did. So that was the first thing I was looking for. I was also uh, looking, kind of looking to see if uh, Polyev would change his stance a little bit in Quebec. Uh, which he didn't. (laughs) And I think he didn't hit very well in Quebec because he kind of brought a lot of his Western talking points and and they didn't work so well. Um, So yeah, I was was looking for consistency between the the candidates, their messaging in English and in French. Okay, so let's get to what you actually observed. Who impressed you most? Uh, Okay. It was like it was uh, it was a firefight in some ways. It was. Uh, I can start with who didn't impress me. So sadly, Baber and Aitchison, for the first time, I actually forgot they were in the debate at all. Like I forgot they were in the room. I, it was probably due to language. Uh, Patrick Brown came out absolutely firing. He was gunning for Pierre Polyev from the beginning, and it's always cute when they struggle with their French a bit because you know. It's kind of like a toddler trying to find their words, but he didn't matter. Like he was he was going for him. Um, so I was impressed with the fire that came from Patrick Brown. Charret, as expected, just, you know, came across as the statesman. Uh, and Pierre Polyev. Um, oh, sorry, I forgot. Leslie Lewis, she impressed me. And I think she would have impressed a lot of Quebecers because she really made an effort to speak French. She stayed in there. She was rebutting in French and so on. And she also talked about how much she loved uh, learning French. And that really, if you tell Quebecers that you love French and you're trying to learn it, they'll love you well, to and death. That, and she was, came across as really endearing. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Uh, Johnny, can you, I know this is ahead of when I asked for it. Can you call up Sapria's tweet for me? Let me show this to you. I'm going to talk to Sapria right after we chat with you. But And she put out this assertion yesterday, and she's right she says in her assessment, this is just one of a thread. She says, anyway, you can't be prime minister if you don't speak French. So, like, I don't know what everybody else is doing on that stage, uh, which that was pretty good. Everybody remembers back in the day, Preston Manning trying to learn French as quickly as he could so he could be considered a legitimate candidate. Now, it, it's kind of I don't want to 
funny is the right word, but it's kind of funny that you're going. And, and Dr. Leslin Lewis, you know, kind of impressive. And I'm going, interesting. I wonder what Jillian's about to say here. And you go, you know, just because she was trying to speak the, the language. So it really almost, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it had nothing to do necessarily with the content of what she was presenting. Just the fact that she was trying to demonstrate some proficiency in the language, right? That's a different thing, right? The, 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 the French language debate to a certain degree for some people is, is just an opportunity to exhibit to Canadians that they can speak French. It is, it is definitely, and it's important, and especially from Quebec. Uh, you know, Quebecers live with that constant, especially the French Quebecers, the constant paranoia that their rights and freedom, liberty as Quebecers to speak French, work in French, educate their children in French across the country will be taken away. So when you see candidates that speak the language and have an appreciation for your language, it um, definitely makes you feel more secure you're less likely to run to the Bloc Québécois. And that's one of the problems that I foresee with Pierre Polièvre is he's not offering that type of freedom to, to Quebecers. He's not, in, in Quebec, in French, we don't have the word free. We have libre or gratuit. So liberty in a way or cheap. And I feel Pierre Polièvre is offering a cheap kind of freedom you know, buy one, get one free, you vote for me and you don't have to wear masks. That's not, Quebecers care about their liberty. They want to live uh, as French people in in the full, you know, love of their language and passing that on. And that's not the freedom that Poliev is offering. So that's where I'm, I kind of feel he might end up being this the Conservative Party leader, but he's going to have to figure out how he's going to get some votes yeah, in I mean, Quebec. I thought it was that interesting. Message, that's... Sorry, I stepped on your toes. I didn't mean to, Jillian. You said you wrote to us okay. on Wednesday night. You wrote, uh, Pierre's performance tonight in Quebec makes me believe that if he does win the conservative leadership, there's no way the conservatives could challenge the federal liberals. No way, no how, just no. Uh, uh, no. Which I thought was good. Um, but quite a, I mean, quite a contrast. To state the obvious in closing, what a contrast between the reception that the perceived front runner Pierre Polyev gets in Western Canada and at the English language debate versus in Eastern Canada at the French language debate. Yeah, and it was, it was, it's, I was surprised that he did not change his talking points because it's one thing to go to the English debate in the West and tell everyone that Charette did a big bad job in Quebec and he tried to reuse that. What about this? What about this? What about this? He tried to reuse that in Quebec. But the difference is Quebecers were there. So they're like, I think I remember if Shara is really horrible and taxed me to death and all of that. And and I I feel uh, Poliev quickly, um, before 2025, has to figure out Quebec. Um, because nine years of Shahen, no matter what he does, is nine years of not having to go to bed, worried that you're going to wake up in a separatist province. It's nine years of not having that constant battle with the federal. So you can't easily knock Charette. Our reality in Quebec is very different. My parents were there during the FLQ uprisings. I grew up during the 90s referendum. It's a constant battle. And whenever the liberals are in power over there, it's a bit of peace. So trying to attack Charette in Quebec is you need to find something different. You need to find you need to uh, go at it at a different angle. He, he probably still might end up being conservative leader, but you, you need to figure out how you're going to get some seats because at the moment uh, we need a different 
uh, Pierre Polyev. She swings in. She, she just drops down, uh, asks to leave her email on the table and instead step in front of the microphone and absolutely slays in her real doc debut. You know what this means, Jillian? We're going to have to look to you for correspondent work down the line. I mean, when you, when you do a job like this. I just want to add that you say my emails are great, but I had to buy my own mug. Oh. So I'm just saying that's okay. That's okay. No, actually, you know, what? You, know what gonna, you know what I'm going to do? I don't, I don't have... <laughs> I don't have one. I don't have one here to show it to you right now. You know what I'm going to do? Merch Johnny, pack. can you take my uh, can you take my yep. screen right now? Jillian, have you seen our new wool knit caps? Have you seen these things? Uh, uh, I've seen it. Yeah. I love it too. People I love can, a cap. Yeah, these are so we've got our yeah. What am I talking? We got our snapback caps. We got some new caps coming. By the way, they're absolutely balling. I think we're going to debut them at the Real Talk Golf Classic on June 23rd. But Jillian, we have our toques here. They're, nice. they're handmade by Closed General. He's a, a leather worker here in in Edmonton. Available in charcoal, heather, or royal blue. What would you prefer? What would be your preference? I have quite a few charcoal hats, so let's go Quebec blue. Oh, Quebec blue. <laughs> uh, I love it. We're going to, uh, yeah, uh, fire off an email. Shoot me I'm your address, it. and we'll, we'll, get that in the, we'll get that in the mail like uh, early next week, my friend. Thank you so much. No, thank you it's so much. It's an honor to be here. And good luck with baby number two. Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, we who knows? Like, I don't even know if we're doing a show Monday. We're gonna find out. We're gonna see. Uh, we got some. <laughs> we got some guest books, but they know they might be canceled at the last minute if we're in labor and delivery. Anyway, Jillian, it's it's so nice to like actually just hear your voice, see your face, and uh, I want to thank you for just being such a great friend of the show. Have an amazing weekend. You too. There Bye. you go. Take care. That's Jillian Essien uh, coming up in just one minute, literally one minute. Sapria Devetti. First, I want to remind you that uh, Athabasca University is Canada's online university. I like that play by Jillian. She's like, my emails are so good. What's up with this bullshit? I had to buy my own coffee mug. She's referencing the Real Talk email of the month, right? Once a month, we pick out a killer email and we send you a coffee mug for free. She bought hers because she's an amazing friend of the show. There you go. Ask and ye shall receive. Athabasca University has world-class accredited online programs and courses that give you flexibility. So whether you need to step away from your duties or step out of your schedule because, yeah, you know, your family has a new arrival or maybe there's an emergency or maybe you get sick or maybe you have a chance to go travel Belize, whatever it is. If you want to take a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months away from your studies, you don't fall behind because you're working on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. It's more than 40,000 students are choosing Athabasca University because of those reasons, also because of its reputation as a research university. You can learn more at AthabascaU.ca. And this is a great weekend to be visiting the Friesen Brothers in your neck of the woods, 16 of them across the province of Alberta, including in South Edmonton, their Rabbit Hill location, just marked its one-year birthday in this month, the month of May. What an unbelievable place. Don't take my word for it. Just ask Johnny, because I'm always talking about the real butchers and the real Alberta beef and the pork and the chicken and the turkey and all that jazz, but they got a ton of plant-based options, too. Something for everyone there. Fresh vegan pizzas. Uh, it's Yeah, it's incredible. You know the move you got to make sure you pull. This is the veteran move we're telling you about when you go to the South Edmonton Friesen Brothers. Right when you go in, go straight to the pizza area, because they'll do them up for you fresh, and then they put them in. You have about 12 to 15 minutes while it bakes. They give you a little buzzer. It's like a little pager kind of a thing. When your pizza's ready, it just starts buzzing. Yeah. And you go, you, you, if you can do your grocery shop, I mean, I'm not talking about the big shop, the first of the month where you get 15% off 75 bucks or more. 
I'm just talking about when you go in, grab a few things, walk out with your hot pizza. Hit the taps. Have a drink. Yeah. Craft beer (laughs) on tap at a grocery store. What? Check out more at Friesen.com. All right. Sapria DeVetti's like our best friend and our favorite. And she joins us every Friday right around this time. Although we did keep you sitting here for a little while because I, I, I won't say I made a new friend. I've considered Jillian a friend for a long time. But how cool to get an audience member on and and uh, realize that she's probably better than I'm not. I'm not talking about you, Sapria, but like half, oh, of, hey. half okay. of our political commentators because she just cuts through the noise. I love it. Nice to see your face, too. Yeah, always good to see your face, Ryan. Yeah, but we've got a lot to talk about, and we've got a lot of ground to cover, but but why don't we start with what I was just talking to Jillian about. You're also a born and raised Montrealer. You joined us from Oakville right now, but of course you were paying close attention Wednesday night to the French language debate, the conservative leadership debate. Uh, what was one of the main storylines that jumped out at you? Uh, just how well I think Jean Charest really performed. Um, he performed much better than I think he has in previous debates and in uh, previous sort of interviews that he's uh, given just had a lot of energy, right? Um, he had a bunch of good one-liners and zingers out there, uh, but you know, ultimately his biggest challenge um, still remains the same, uh, and that's he has to sign up a bunch of new members. Um, so you know, whether or not this really affects the standing in terms of the race, I can imagine that his team is really trying to sign up new members and you know convince folks that they should get a membership based on that debate performance. And, you know, maybe that works, but it's still kind of a tough uh, hill to sort of climb. And I think just based on what we've seen in terms of polling, um, you know, it's very likely that Pierre Polyev is still leading. And I think Brown, Patrick Brown is still a bit of a wild card because, you know, he's been keeping his head down and has really been doing what I would say it's like acute community outreach, right? Like he's doing much smaller um, gatherings and and really focusing on, um, you know, different demographics to try and bring them into the fold. But uh yeah, I don't know. Like my main takeaway is that on that debate stage, Jean Charest was really the only one that came across as like prime ministerial. Yeah. Did you get the sense that uh, I was just talking to Jillian about this as well? You see the, the audience maybe not um, buying what Pierre Polyev was selling to a certain degree, getting a bit of a tougher reception than he does in Western Canada uh, to state the obvious. What do you read into that like at a deeper level? I mean, look, the debate, I think, was in Laval, right? So I, I would imagine that Charest people packed um, the whatever the hall or whatever it was called um, with their own people. I don't know if that's necessarily indicative of the overall reception that um, Pierre would get in in Quebec. And I wouldn't want to read too much into that. But I think just generally, um, a lot of the attack lines that Pierre has been throwing at Shera kind of fall flat in a Quebec audience because, you know, I've said this before on the show, but yeah, he was a liberal premier, but in Quebec, at least in one the time when, you know, Shera was, was premier and basically my entire life, like Quebec liberals have tended to lean more conservative, very, you know, not unlike the way BC liberals tend to lean a lot more to the right than I think we would traditionally think of liberals. So um, all of those attacks of, you know, you haven't done X, Y, or Z or your liberal light, like it, it doesn't make sense in, in Quebec, particularly when under Charest, like, you know, Quebec wasn't doing so bad um, in a lot of respects. Uh, I, I love when you come on because we kind of jump all over the place and sometimes yeah. it's stories that people have been talking about all week and sometimes it's it's developing stories and people across the country uh, will be talking about this decision of the Supreme Court of Canada unanimously striking down life without parole for mass murderers. Um, it, it was retroactive to the time it was enacted about 11 years ago in 2011. It gives a large number of sentenced killers hope of release 
someday. Uh, you're a lawyer. I think a lot of people know that. Uh, how yeah. do you process this? Yeah, I mean, I went to law school. I'm not a practicing lawyer, so I'll just <laughs> okay, put sure. that out there. I, um, always, I, it's, I always say that to the lawyer. They always have to clarify yeah. it. I'm getting, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I should be better at that. Uh, no, it's all good. Um, but yeah, look, I don't think this was necessarily surprising. It was a unanimous decision. You know, um, all nine justices um, were of this opinion. Um, and I think a lot of constitutional and criminal lawyers um, prior to this uh, decision being rendered were very much sort of leaning this way and saying that was likely where the court was was going to go. And you're right, this does have a ton of implications. And I mean, even in the more recent past, we're talking about, um, you know, the mass New Brunswick killer um, now being affected by this and will likely be eligible for parole much earlier than intended. And the uh, Toronto van attack mass murderer is going to be um, eligible for parole much earlier than intended, as well as like a whole slew of others. Um, but I think this just really goes to the heart of sometimes being tough on crime as good and it might make people feel it doesn't always craft the best sort of policy solution. And I mean, we're seeing that now. And I think there are a ton of criminal lawyers right now that are on social media that are trying to, um, you know, encourage people not to get too panicked about this because just because you're eligible for parole doesn't mean you're going to get it right. And so I think we need to be careful with the sort of narratives that we run away with uh, because of this one decision. Yeah, but everybody like everybody just thinks of Carla Homolka, right? I mean, that, uh, that's course, that's yeah. pretty much the Canadian case study for somebody getting parole uh, and, and people trying to wrap their minds around it. What's like just as a, I'm asking you, I guess, as you're a political commentator, strategist and all this, um, but also just as a human, um, where, where do you sense that Canadians are at? We talk, I, when we were talking about David Milgard's passing, I think it was last week, I talked to Jana Pruden, uh, amazing storyteller with the Globe and Mail. Amazing. You yeah. know, and, and, and it comes up and there were comments from our audience members as well that were saying, this makes me glad that Canada doesn't have capital punishment or Canada doesn't have the death penalty. And, um, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, like with regards to where we're at, even globally, you look at how Sweden manages some of its prisons, really interesting stuff, like a relatively minimum security for some some pretty significant, you know, convicted criminals. I mean, those types of things. Where do you get where Canadians attitudes are at with regards to, you know, the Harper government was big on mandatory minimums and saw some support from Canadians there. But with regards to like locking people up and throwing away the key or, or you know, taking people to the electric chair, so to speak, that kind of American attitude, or at least uh, in some states, where do you where you have your finger on the pulse of Canada, where are Canadians at with crime and punishment? Yeah, I mean, I, I think generally, I would say in terms of, you know, capital punishment, um, that ship has sailed in Canada for, for quite some time, right? And I don't think there's very many corners that are sort of clamoring to bring it back. And I think it's difficult to sort of think about um, criminals in a level-headed manner when you're talking about such atrocious killers, right? Like when you're talking about the Toronto van attack or you're talking about this mosque uh, terror sh shooter who, who shot up those, you know, congregants in an act of terror. Like these are all issues that I think tug at our heartstrings in a very visceral and, and you know, primal way. So it's understandable why I think so many Canadians would be like, well, fuck them, like just keep them there forever. Um, but, you know, if the purpose of the justice system is to rehabilitate folks writ large, 
um, then you do have to consider that aspect as well um, when we're thinking about our, our prison system, I think more, more generally. And you mentioned Sweden, and that's a very good example. And it's interesting. Um, I don't think Canadians are necessarily there yet um, politically. It's also not exactly a vote getter to say that you're going to go you know, a little bit lighter on criminals um, or give them a, a lighter touch. Uh, that's not exactly a ballot box winner. So you know, our politics are sort of incentivized not to really talk about prison or justice reform in a more you know, comprehensive or holistic manner. I'm, uh, you know, you're, what do you say about what happened in Uvalde, Texas this week? I don't even know, you know, I mean, it's just like such a disaster. I mean, it's just a disaster of gun policy. It's a, it feels like just such a failing. You have a society uh, that schools get shot up. And, and I know you're on Twitter. You've probably seen this list. People are copy and pasting it to their profiles. It's just a list of school shootings that have happened, I think, since 2017. You have to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. You know, I mean, we, we saw this story last night that one of the teachers that was killed, her husband just dropped dead of a heart attack at 50 years old yesterday. They leave behind four kids, 19 children killed minimum. There's others that are injured. I mean, it's just a pretty like, what do you say? I don't know if you're the same as me. You, you have your own child's face in your mind as you process stories like this. And I see people rightfully so saying, I don't want to see any more conversations on, you know, cable news about, you know, how do you talk to your kids about gun violence? Or I don't want to hear any more. Like, you know, I, I don't even know how you wrap your mind around it. You can't not talk about it, obviously. But at the same time, people go, yeah, Trump's still showing up to the NRA convention this weekend. I saw that Don McLean pulled out of, you know, the American Pie singer pulled out of the NRA convention from performing there. The New York Times this morning, the headline of an op-ed, nothing's going to stop the NRA's gun orgy in Texas. Thoughts on this? I I mean, look, it's not just the NRA, right? It's like the politicians that are beholden to them. Like it's all well and good to make uh, the gun lobby as like the bad guy here, but the actual bad guys are the politicians that refuse to do anything about this. Um, And, you know, ultimately the, that's also on the electorate that supports them. And it's not as simple uh, as that because there's a lot of gerrymandering and a lot of voter suppression that goes on. And, you know, there are uh, uh, basically these politicians represent a, a, a fraction of the population um, in terms of uh, being hardened, you know, do not do anything about gun control supporters. So it's uh, it, it, it it's it's just I think we need to get out of the m- mindset of just um, um, America being this like pinnacle of uh, democracy and something that other countries should strive strive to be because. It's like they're not on on every scale, like they really need to get their shit together. We're talking about gun control in terms of mass shootings. But like, you know, Chris Selly of the National Post pointed out um, this week that uh, there are roughly five times as many Americans that die in unintentional shootings and mass shootings. Right. Or 65 times as many die by suicide. Like if they just had very minimal gun control, um, you know, legislation or a regulatory framework, it, it would cut down on death a lot. And, you know, all all of this rhetoric that we get from right-leaning politicians in the States is all this bullshit about like, you know, Ted Cruz is talking about, well, if there was only one door, it's like, okay, well, fuck it. Now you want to put kids in prison, basically? Um, Like this, this school was already hardened in terms of, you know, having all sorts of, uh, 
uh, fences and, you know, that small town of Vivaldi of 16,000 people, they had like a, a SWAT team that was there. Like, this is also about like police in action. I don't know if you saw any of those videos, Ryan, but yeah. like, you know, they're like fucking handcuffing parents. Parents getting them, tased. Them. The like, dad what, got what is this? tased yeah. trying to get into the school because for 40 minutes, nobody's going in there. I'm not going to pretend like I'm SWAT. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a trained law enforcement officer. I was talking to some first responders last night about this. They're firemen, but they're, they're used to staged events, which means that police have to go in first before they can go in. Sometimes it could be a crime scene or what have you. And they were saying, they said, hey, listen, like to be fair to these officers, if you don't have good information, you can't just go in. And then one of the other guys in the conversation says, like, fuck, you can't just go in. Yeah. He says there's kids getting shot in an elementary school. What do you mean you can't just go in? And they go, well, you know, your life, you could be in, put in danger. And he goes, well, that's your job. Yeah. Like, I just, you know, I'm not going to, I mean, I'm being an armchair quarterback right now. I recognize that from another country from, you know, thousands of kilometers away. But at the same time, I, I was trying to put myself in the shoes of a parent that is outside that school. My child's inside that school and there's an active shooter barricaded in there. I would I, be a wild animal. I would do anything to get in that building. Of course, any parent would have done whatever they could have to get into that fucking building to get their kid out, right? Or kids uh, multiple out. And the fact that the police, you know, were actually turning their ire onto the parents, I think it is a whole other conversation unto itself. And I think it really highlights a whole other slew of problems. But like, as we're talking about gun control, we should probably also be talking about like police reform in America. Mm. Um, but ultimately, I, I, I don't know if anything is going to get done. You know, Sandy Hook was is, was 10 years ago as of in, in December, it'll, it'll have been a decade, right? And like, if we decided, if they decided then um, that they weren't going to do anything, um, I'd like to think that, you know, 10 years later and another horrific mass shooting of literal children being gunned down would be enough. But it's not like we're seeing a ton of um, Republican legislators really saying, yeah, this is this is the tipping point. This is what we need to do. So un until you get those folks to really want to do something um, or to get rid of the filibuster in the Senate, like I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the solution is. Yeah, I just there was this father. I just I, I get emotional. I'm, I'm a very emotional person. I think I, I, I just like I can't watch an interview with a parent that's still in shock. Um, yeah. It also it also talking about the me, Anderson Cooper one. Yeah, well, I'm talking about that that father uh, a Latino guy had the sunglasses on, had a mustache, yeah, yeah, yeah. shorter stature guy. Just his face. I'm gonna start crying if I think about it. But like he's just and he's just and he's 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 talking about his ten year old daughter and just just the light of his life and this beautiful, wonderful. They're showing her picture and her eyes are just so bright, her future so bright, and her life snuffed out by this this killer and the father says I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that her life was not lost in vain and you know what my first response was which is so sad was just just recognizing that that father will do everything he can I'm sure and he will commit his efforts I'm sure to honoring the member of his daughter and nothing's gonna happen because we all know the names of the students that survived uh, schools like Columbine and, and we all know the names of the parents or maybe we're forgetting them shame on us the parents from Sandy Hook and they've been working and parents like Shannon Watts, who like is gun advocate, gun control advocacy in the states, with hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter, and sh this father, this grieving father, will join a community of grieving parents. But I don't know if their efforts are ever going to pay off, and that is a huge gut punch for everybody. Yeah, and like it's so demoralizing if you live in that country, right? Like, imagine being a parent and you're. Like, I don't know, like every morning as you're dropping your, your kid off, you're like, what, saying a silent prayer? You're like, 
have your fingers crossed and saying, I, I, I hope you get through the day safely. Like that's an, that's such an immense burden to think of every single GD day when yeah. you're in, when you're in a country like that, like, I, I can't imagine that. And I, I, I can't imagine the sort of inaction that they receive from the quote unquote leaders that they have in charge. Yeah. Um, hey, listen, I, you've got to go literally in one minute. So I just want to ask you this really quickly because I'm watching from halfway across the country, but I'm just trying to figure out with regards to this Ontario election uh, coming okay. up in less than two weeks, you knew I was going to ask you real quick. It strikes me that despite the fact that we're on our way out of a pandemic that has exhausted healthcare workers, that has taken a major toll on the, the healthcare delivery I, I mean, across the provinces, but Ontario included for sure. Um, I'm, I, I'm watching as best I can some of the coverage. I'm reading as many columns as I can, and I don't see a lot of people talking about healthcare. They're not. And it doesn't make any fucking sense because we're in the middle of a pandemic election. As you mentioned, you know, burnt down healthcare workers, massive surgical backlog. Right. I think there's like a, a, a million um, surgical surgeries and procedures that are that, that are backlog. We have long covid issues that are looming. Um, you know, Doug Ford is going to further privatize uh, long term care homes. And we know from the data that they had much worse outcomes for residents in Ontario than the public um, you know, long-term care system did. And so it, I just like, if we're not going to talk about healthcare now, then when the heck are we? And, you know, to be fair to Ontario, we also had a federal election in the middle of a pandemic. And it's like, we didn't really have a substantive conversation about healthcare then either. We, we almost did right. Um, when the liberals put out that video that had clipped, uh, O'Toole saying something along the lines of finding efficiencies, but then the conversation turned into like, ethics and Twitter video posting. And yeah. we never talked about the substance. And, you know, it, it, it was weird because O'Toole in that video didn't say anything that was like out of step or out of line with mainstream conservative, both capital C and small C thinking, right? Like finding efficiencies within the system, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. All of that is like totally within the realm of normal conversation. And yet we didn't talk about it and we're not talking about it again. And like, it's just a real shame because I don't think we really, um, or the public, when I say we, has a good understanding of just how fucked our healthcare system is going to be in the next, you know, five, 10, 15 years um, because of all this. And it was already in like not the best sort of shape. Uh, the pandemic has exacerbated all of it. Um, and we're basically all screwed. So yeah, get out and vote if you care about healthcare. And, you know, it, it shouldn't be for the folks that uh, were in charge uh, during this. And, you know, a lot of it isn't solely on this government. You know, multiple governments uh, of liberal uh, and conservative stripe have let the system get to the point that where it is. Um, but, you know, in terms of the burning out of healthcare workers, in terms of like cutting pay for nurses in the middle of a pandemic, like, a, you know, further privatizing LTCs, like that is on this government. And, you know, you mentioned off the top, and it's very true, Ontario, um, we certainly weren't the worst uh, performer in this country. Um, and a lot of other provinces uh, failed their people as well. But that shouldn't absolve, um, you know, the folks in charge here simply because folks elsewhere did it worse. I don't know. Like, it, it's it's like we're not as bad as 
yeah, Kenny or Mo shouldn't be a bumper sticker. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Like we're we're not the worst. <laughs> that's yeah. that's the big yeah, endorsement. Yeah. Yeah. Vote, yeah. keep us in office. We're not the worst. Uh, yeah. Supriya Devetti is the director of policy engagement at the Center for Media Technology and Democracy at McGill University. She's senior counsel with Enterprise Canada. You see her on Power and Politics. You've read her work in the Toronto Star, the National Observer, and every Friday you can catch her here on Real Talk. Thanks for doing this and have an amazing weekend. Always a pleasure, Ryan. Talk soon. All right, my friend. Take care. Uh, always love checking in with Sapria Devetti. We're gonna. This is this is kind of like literally a last minute roundtable. This is so last minute. This roundtable coming up that we've even seen some shuffling since we went live. Wheels up about forty minutes ago. We've had a shuffle to our panel. We mixed up the roster. We mixed up the roster a little bit, which is great because these councilors, these three city councilors, we're gonna get to them in just a second. Are are like shuffling around their meetings and changing their obligations because they want you, real talkers, to be able to hear what they have to say and we really appreciate that so uh we were going to be talking to ann stevenson she's my city councilor in fact we're talking my hometown our hometown right now uh and an issue that's a, a matter of i think provincial importance the solicitor general sending a I don't know. I don't want to put words in these counselors' mouth, but I would characterize it as somewhat of a big doggin letter, kind of like an inflammatory letter yesterday. Uh, Ann Stevenson with the police commission, she was going to join us, but Aaron Rutherford's going to step in along with Sarah Hamilton, Andrew Knack. That coming up in just a second. First, I want to tell you about Eden Landscaping. They've got this new approach to their designing front yards. It's, it's pretty on trend because a lot of people are, quite frankly, just getting sick of mowing their lawn. And then watering their lawn and then taking care of the dandelions and then mowing their lawn again and then taking care of the dandelions and then watering their lawn and then mowing their lawn. And well, you get the idea. Instead, this urban front yard butterfly approach takes native grasses, uh, takes a look at maybe what might be best ecologically for your yard. Like what could you plant there that might draw pollinators in? That might help the environment and might also be a little bit easier on the eyes. You know, you can address your curb appeal. Plus, cut down on your water bills and, oh yeah, not spend all Saturday mowing. You can find out more and get a free quote today. You can check out their portfolio, their services, and learn more about Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. I know no doubt it's going to be a busy weekend at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. That's because they've got better selection on the Jeep, Ram, Dodge lineups than anybody else in the province. You say, well, that's a bold claim. Well, they've got two dealerships. They can share inventory, so you can browse them online right now. You'll find the link under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. The new, the pre-owned, even the specials. You can book in for parts and service. I mean, basically, shop from the comfort of your own home. If you'd rather browse the lot, if you're like me, if you want to feel the leather, you can go see them in person. They're happy to help you out. Proud of their service record. Look at this, a brand new 2022 Dodge Challenger X SXT Coupe on for 41688 right now. That's not going to last long at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. And a shout out to our friends at Park Power. They're powering our hashtag RealTalkRJ. That's a way to stay on top of interviews we're pushing out, heads up we're giving you. And of course, what some people are saying about the show, Park Power is your friendly local utilities provider in the electricity, natural gas, and internet game. You can compare rates, and if you bundle utilities with them, you can save a whole bunch of dough. Keep money in your pocket, including $70 on your first bill when you sign up with the promo code 2022-REALTALK at parkpower.ca. Well, this has uh, been a, a very difficult week in our home city of Edmonton, uh, including packed council chambers just a few days ago. 
as downtown residents and business owners, particularly from Chinatown, showed up en masse to send a very clear message to Edmonton's city council. Uh, 36-year-old by the name of Justin Bone has been charged with second-degree murder in the brutal killings of two men, 61-year-old Ben Hook, Huang and 64-year-old Hung Trang, uh, both of them completely innocently walking downtown, going about their own business and murdered. It's got people talking about what is perceived to be, and we're going to find out how legitimate that is right now, a rise in crime rates in some parts of Edmonton City, and it prompted a letter from Alberta's Justice Minister and Solicitor General, that's Tyler Shandro, to Edmonton's Mayor Amarjeet Sohi. This was late yesterday afternoon. This is a developing story. I'm not going to read the entire letter to you, but for context, a portion of it. Dear Mayor Sohi, this from the Solicitor General, the Justice Minister, Provincial Cabinet Minister, right? Keep in mind the dynamic there between the province and the city. Dear Mayor Sohi, I'm writing to you about the extremely concerning and unacceptable levels of crime in Edmonton's downtown core and on the city's transit systems. He goes on to say, as a minister of justice and solicitor general, I have a responsibility under the police act to ensure the people of Edmonton receive adequate and effective policing. It's quite apparent that residents feel uncomfortable and unsafe in the downtown core riding transit and traversing the transit center corridor. Some say it's simply too dangerous to use the LRT transit system or to go downtown. He goes on to say and wraps by suggesting, he says, it is in short, the people of Edmonton deserve better than what this city council is delivering. This is from the justice minister. They deserve to be able to ride transit, visit restaurants, attend events, and browse through stores in a safe and welcoming environment. Public safety should be your priority like it is mine. And these are fighting words. He says, at this time, I'm requesting you to take direct action to address this alarming situation. Within the next two weeks, I will require a public safety plan from you that will increase police response to this disorder and ensure members of the public can use Edmonton's public transit safely. I look forward to reviewing this plan soon. That from the Honorable Tyler Chandro, Justice Minister. Oh, boy. So how did this letter land down at City Hall, where it has been a tough and emotional week? Let's find out. Andrew Knack is the City Councilor for Ward Nakota Iska. Sarah Hamilton is the City Councilor for Ward C.P. Winniewak. She's also a commissioner on Edmonton's Police Commission. And Councilor Aaron Rutherford, uh, Rutherford rather, is a representative for the constituents in Ward Anarnik. Uh, thank you to the three of you for joining us. We appreciate your availability on relatively short notice. Councilor Knack, it looks like we've got you on the road, not driving, but on the road. Thanks for this. I want to ask all three of you, why don't we start with you, Councilor Knack. How did this letter from the Justice Minister land at City Hall yesterday? It was surprising. Uh, I think, you know, we, we are dealing with some very serious issues right now, and you touched on them at the start of this segment. Uh, we've had some uh, tragic loss of life, and we have some very real safety concerns uh, that we have to deal with. Uh, but but council's been working through them. We've been uh, adjusting resources. We put together a fairly detailed action plan around how we're going to address community safety. And so I... I'm surprised because I'm not sure what makes um, Edmonton different than other locations. Other locations are struggling with different types of safety issues. And so I'm not sure why why this happened the way it did. It doesn't feel like it's a very constructive approach for something that requires all orders of government really to be working together 
collaboratively to help address public safety. Councillor Hamilton, you've been around City Hall for a while. Um, when it comes to what's happening downtown, I mean, obviously high profile and tragic incidents. Uh, just a short time ago, we mentioned the brutal murders of these two men. Um, are the comments from the justice minister to a certain degree in a certain context fair? I mean, are, are you concerned about a rise in crime rates downtown on LRT, et cetera? Um, you know, there's going to be some debate about how accurate his comments are. Um, and I would say it doesn't actually matter. Perception is reality in this case. And um, what we heard on Tuesday in city council is that residents, um, business owners in the area feel that uh, city council needs to to step up in some way. They obviously do not feel that we have uh, done our due diligence on this. And that is, I mean, the, the justice minister was in Chinatown yesterday and walked around and he likely heard the same thing. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, we also haven't even gotten to the issues our staff are facing within our transit system. Um, maintenance uh, is becoming harder uh, for uh, our staff to, to perform because they're afraid of being attacked in their workplace. Um, that is obviously uh, not okay. And I don't think any Edmontonian should be okay uh, with what's happened. I know it's it's been severe in other cities as well, um, but we're not talking about other cities here. We're talking about um, our, our hometown <laughs> and and what we can do or haven't done uh, to to make it feel safer. Councillor Rutherford, uh, it's it's obviously been a, a tough week at, at City Hall. I mean, we see here, I mean, I'm showing a photo to those watching on YouTube. This is a photo that was in the Edmonton Journal. Council chambers absolutely packed with people that wanted their voices heard, that wanted their priorities noted, uh, in particular, people talking about Chinatown and how they're feeling unsafe there. They feel that this is uh, systemic racism. They feel that issues are not being taken as seriously in Chinatown as they are even in other parts of Edmonton's downtown. How have this week's events impacted you or resonated with you, a first term counselor? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's interesting because I come from a background where I'm dealing with a lot of complex social issues in my previous career. And so it's been really interesting to see this unfold the way it has. What I heard from many folks is that this, while it's hit a tipping point and a boiling point, uh, this isn't new to Chinatown. Many of the speakers talked about how this has been an erosion of Chinatown over a decade. And so I do agree that there is some systemic racism at play here. And one of the reasons that not in addition to all of the stuff we've talked about with community safety and well-being and a, pill, a pillar dedicated to anti-racism, we as a city have really taken a lot of steps to be more actively anti-racist. But that takes time. These systems don't change overnight. And I agree with my council colleague, Councillor Knack, it's it's not that we're not taking this seriously. It, it drives it home, the, the, the true uh, nature of, of what we're dealing with here from this week's efforts. But since we've been elected as this council, we have been taking steps to you know, invest in transit safety, to work on changing the bylaws even around transit safety, to look at how we're creating that comprehensive community safety plan and investing in both our police as well as making sure we're investing in some of those big uh, drivers of crime like uh, addressing homelessness.
This was uh, uh, I'm, I'm referencing reporting from Wallace Snowden, who does a great job with CBC News. And and Wallace quotes the daughter, Christina Trang. Uh, I can't imagine walking a mile in her shoes right now. Um, her dad, Hung Trang, 64 years of age, was found injured outside Albert's auto body where he worked. This is one of the two homicides. Uh, on the afternoon of May 18th, uh, just over a week ago, he died in hospital the next day, an autopsy determining he died of blunt force injuries to his head. This is her dad she's talking about. And she says uh, the senseless killing of her father and counselors. I know you heard this because she said it to you. The senseless killings of her father and this other individual, Ben Fuk Huang, uh, who was killed 61 years of age, have shaken her confidence in the city's ability to maintain public safety in Chinatown. She said, quote, maybe if things had been different in Chinatown, my dad would still be with us today. How do you feel the situation in Chinatown currently is acceptable? When was the last time any of you stepped foot into that place? I'm curious to know, like with regards to your perspective as city councilors, What's going on there? What's happening? And and this assessment, this first-hand testimony from a lot of people saying that this is racism. This is systemic racism. Uh, Councillor Knack, like, what does the real talk look like on this? I mean, w- what needs to happen here? There's many different things that need to happen, and they need to happen all at once, and they need to and they need to get moving even quicker uh, because there's a real safety concern. I was there um, just about I think a week and a half ago. And you saw multiple different issues uh, right happening at the same time. So you saw, we know that there are criminal elements. Uh, you know, there are gangs that are operating that need to be addressed and we need the police to be focusing their time and attention on them. Uh, at the same time, you go to the, you go into the area there and you see encampments set up, uh, you know, over close by, over by the Bissell Center, there's empty lots that are filled with tents and individuals who don't have proper housing and support. And uh, some of those individuals are being preyed upon by those who are doing the really bad things, the actual criminal elements. And so we need to make sure that those individuals can get the support and care they need. So it's it's not just one thing you need. It, it, those are very, the, the reality is true. There are some really challenging parts going on right now, and particularly in Chinatown, and it involves a police reaction, it involves a social support uh, response, and it has to happen all at once. And, and I think from the city side, we're, I hope that the actions that we're taking, some of the things that we've recently approved will actually get us there. Some interesting comments on our live chat, Councillor Hamilton, uh, you know, plain power says so. OK, so hang on a second. So one level of government strong arming another is OK, referencing the province and the city of Edmonton. He goes, so one level of government strong arming another is OK, unless it's the feds interfering with the provinces. OK, gotcha. Uh, got it. Jason wonders, is there any chance that the Justice Minister Shandro here is just taking a shot at what is perceived to be a very left-leaning Edmonton council? Like, what's the significance of this letter, Councillor Hamilton? Because to me, I mean, on one hand, sure, it comes across like there's a legitimate... I don't want to... Let me say this, and let me just spell it out for our audience and for people that hear this. I am not diminishing the seriousness of these crimes. I am not diminishing the validity of people's concerns who are downtown. We own property. I lived downtown for a lot of years in Boyle Street. There's a lot of action in that neighborhood. I saw a lot of it. We still own a place there. We rent it out to people. I'm familiar with the the issues there. It's It's a big urban center. Right. With a complex population like most cities of a million people. But at the same time, 
I mean, this letter strikes me as, as, as I described it earlier as big dogging. Like the, it comes across as a little condescending, a little bit grandstanding, to be honest with you, quite inflammatory, quite frankly, suggesting that it's not a mayor's that it's not currently that safety is not the mayor's priority, that this council is not delivering on what it's supposed to deliver on and giving an assignment to a mayor in an open public letter. Like, wow. So, I mean, what's happening below the surface here? Um, so legislatively, if you read between the lines uh, on this, it it is absolutely big dogging, as you would say. Um, uh, first of all, municipalities exist at the privilege uh, of a, the Minister of Municipal Affairs. Um, so we have no constitutional standing. Um, the second piece is that um, this is unprecedented in my uh, experience with this. Uh, and that two week deadline is extremely important because what can follow if the director of law enforcement and the solicitor general are not satisfied with the policing plan, um, is that they can, they can essentially take over, uh, operations of our police service and any, uh, financial and use any financial mechanisms essentially to, um, to fund that service. And they are funding it at what the service tells them they need to operate. Um, so if you read between the lines here, uh, I would say that this is directed at a council agenda that they do not believe um, uh, has, adequ- has adequately addressed the safety needs of Edmontonians. And, and that includes the funding piece, which is extremely controversial right now. Um, but they're absolutely dunking on us for that reason. And what do they have to lose, Brian? They have one seat in Edmonton and they have everything to gain across the uh, the rest of the province of Alberta. And I don't like it and you don't like it. And I guarantee my two other colleagues on here don't like it. Um, but that's the game. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So, so Councillor Rutherford, what are you going to do about it? Uh, that, you know, that's a great question. I think to, to Councillor Hamilton's point, this is unprecedented, but this is not the first time that they have done overreach. I, I go back to this seems very reminiscent, even in my short tenure, of the mask discussion, right? So it, it seems like a tool that they're going to frequently use with this council when they don't like decisions that that we're making. If we're calling um, calling it out in real talk, this is this is a direct result of the the motion that I put on the floor at executive is really, to me, what this comes down to. Erin, can you take us into that? Like us civilians that have, to be honest, the majority of us really no idea what you're talking about. Can you dumb it down for us? Sure. So at executive committee, we were discussing the, uh, you know, how going forward we're going to fund police. And so there was a few options on the table in terms of, you know, bringing service packages forward, doing a funding formula, or, you know, essentially freezing the police funding. And in addition to that, we also as a council needed to decide on on a a baseline. Now, there's debate about whether we needed that baseline now or later. I felt it was important to just put that baseline out early so that we have that honest, authentic conversation with the police commission. Um, So the motion essentially said the baseline is tax, uh, current tax levy um, and come back and tell us what you need at the fall uh, budget with service packages. And it, it passed three to two at executive and then was going to be coming to council for for a, a bigger vote because those are decisions that need to come to council as a whole. 
uh, with a recommendation from committee. Um, so it's interesting to see what I would consider as quite a fiscally responsible motion in, in, in actuality uh, get this kind of reaction. Uh, we want to thank, by the way, we asked you, uh, three of you to stay here until we're doing this live. Obviously, most people will catch this later in the day, but they'll, they'll know that, you know, it's 931, uh, 931 mountain time right now. And, uh, so counselor knack did have a meeting that he had to bounce to. We appreciate his availability. Um, uh, counselor Aaron Rutherford, counselor Sarah Hamilton still with us. Uh, Sarah, you're still, you're, you're, I mean, you're on the Edmonton police committee. I think you're just, what's your position? You're, you're described as a commissioner with the Edmonton police commission, right? That's the actual title. Yeah, I'm one of two council representatives on the Edmonton Police Commission. Yeah, you and Councillor Ann Stevenson. So I just I just want to get some clarity here. Um, most people, I don't know if they're like me, but our heads, you know, numbers start swimming around in our heads and we start talking about budget and we lose our focus and it's tough to throw a bunch of numbers around. So I don't want to do that. Uh, but right now, uh, council, your colleagues looking at potentially setting Edmonton's police operating budget at about $385 million. It's a little bit higher than the current allotment of the levy as as your colleague, Councillor Rutherford, was just talking about, but about $22 million less or lower than what police are currently receiving. So it's being spun or presented or discussed or debated as a cut to police funding, as a $22 million cut. And there's been some criticism from the province, and a lot of people are arguing for police reform, and a lot of other people are saying, we need more officers and more patrols, not less. So can we just talk in plain language about what's going on right now? what the justification is and, and what you perceive Edmontonians to value and desire when it comes to investing in or paying for or developing or growing how this city is policed? Um, what I continue to hear from people um, is that there's an ongoing tension between all of the things that we want to do and funding those core services. And policing um, for every municipality uh, over 5,000 people in the province of Alberta is the biggest driver of uh, of municipal uh, costs, essentially. Um, whether you have the RCMP or you have a local municipal police service, it is going to be the biggest driver of costs. Uh, it's very labor intensive. Um, most of the costs are uh, staffing people um, uh, and, and having officers and a trained officer uh, tends to cost more. Um, obviously. Uh, so um, I think, you know, and I don't want to get too far into it, something that I think the city needs to consider across the board is how you sustainably fund all of our core services, whether we're talking about transit, policing, uh, fire service. Uh, I have watched over the past four years a budget go up and go down uh, and go sideways backwards uh, in all directions and it goes with the winds of of the economy i think if we're talking about a fiscally prudent plan going forward and dealing with this government having that sustainable um, plan for funding the core services for meeting the expectations of edmontonians is fundamental um, we there's there's no other way around it and i think that it gets away from the conversation um, of playing politics with police funding uh, when you have a, a fixed, sustainable um, funding formula. Uh, a, a former St. Albert 
city councilor that's watching right now, Gilles Prefontaine. It's always great to have Gilles chiming in here on our live chat. He says, as a former councilor, this makes me furious because this is all political and we need a council willing to say so. Um, I think we have Hamilton on the record saying this is big dogging, so I'd say that counts. But but I think it's also worth pointing out here that, that Edmonton's mayor has responded. Amarjeet uh, Sohi, you can check it out at medium.com slash mayor Sohi. Uh, we hope to speak with the mayor on Monday morning. We'll see if he's available and if I'm not in labor and delivery with Kerry. Uh, maybe we'll talk to Edmonton's mayor on Monday, but he throws a couple hand grenades back at the legislature. He says, I want to acknowledge the letter that Minister Chandra sent to my office earlier today. He wrote this last night and the plan he asked me to prepare for the next two weeks. And, and, and he says, I share the same concerns about safety in our downtown Chinatown and on the LRT. He says, ever since I got elected, I've been raising these issues. He goes on to say, and I mean, here's where he returns fire, right? He says, uh, council's investing in many issues that are the responsibility of the province. And frankly, they're falling short. He says, we know the reason we're seeing so much disorder downtown in Chinatown and on the LRT is due to a lack of investment from the provincial government. I have to say that I'm glad the minister has finally noticed this incredibly important issue that has been my top priority since being elected. I have desperately been trying to get the province's attention on this issue for months now. So I ask you, writes Edmonton's mayor, Minister Shandro, the justice minister, will you work with us to provide funding? for our houseless population, for mental health supports, and for those suffering from the drug poisoning crisis to make our communities safe. Uh, everybody knows that gif of the two guys having the middle finger fight. Just keep, They just keep extending the middle fingers to each other. They're not saying they're just giving each other. The, that's what this is right now. But the question is, what happens from here? The Solicitor General wants a report from Edmonton's mayor. Edmonton's mayor wants significant or meaningful funding here. Uh, so where does this go? Uh, do either of you councillors have faith that this can result in a scenario where the city of Edmonton and the province of Alberta are meaningfully working together on something here? Or is this relationship just that strained, maybe even broken? I mean, what's your take on it, Councillor Rutherford? You know, I, I would say this council is very relationship focused. And what I've seen in this council thus far is the ability to um, work with, with anybody that's willing to work with us uh, for the betterment of Edmonton. I've seen that already and I will have no doubt in the faith in my colleagues that if the province was to come to the table and, and want to discuss this issue that we would happily engage in that dialogue. Because as I mentioned, you know, it, it's not you know, we talk about police funding. Police received $407 million. Chief McPhee himself said that he, he noticed the rise in crime downtown, but the resources were not reallocated. So there's so many questions that we still have to have between the police commission, the province, and, and city council. And I hope we do, because I think that that is how we're going to create the outcomes that Edmontonians expect of us. Uh, Councillor Hamilton, last word to you. Um, there is a glimmer of hope here that if uh, there's a leadership opportunity, that if um, people can put their egos aside, um, this is an owl for Edmonton. It's embarrassing, honestly. We have to get through it, but there is a glimmer of hope that we could maybe, just maybe have a new deal on public safety here because the underlying thread in all of this is that the way things have always been done uh, has, has is not working for us. and. And so if, if there's one thing in a year, if we are successful, it will be because everyone put their egos aside and they started to listen to each other because this is a direct result of uh, 
two parties fundamentally not listening to each other. This is bad diplomacy in action. And it's really terrible because clearly the, the million people in Edmonton are suffering for it. That's Councillor uh, Sarah Hamilton um, representing uh, the Edmonton Electoral Ward CP Winniewak. Uh, Councillor Aaron Rutherford from Anarnik. Am I doing okay in pronouncing your ward, by the way, Councillor Rutherford? It's a Nulnik. A Nulnik. Okay, thank you so much. Yes. And, and it's great to have you making your debut on the show today. And we'll recognize Councillor Andrew Knack as well, who did everything he could to be with us all the way through till the end from Ward Nakota Iska. To the three of you, our thanks for this. Um, I want to get to what our uh, audience is saying on this. Uh, Real talkers, and, and you've got a lot to say on this. It was nice to see Troy Pavlik chiming, chiming in. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. Uh, some biting commentary on municipal issues, and, and you might argue that nobody really cares more than Troy does. Um, he says, hey, listen, if we're talking in so-called plain language, then the police budget's actually $485 million a year once you factor in all the extra funding they take in, half a billion dollars every year. He says the police commission and Chief McPhee love to play with the numbers and get people confused and talk about $22 million in cuts when council engages in their legal right to set the budget. Chad says it's hard to hear about costs increasing as my city of Edmonton taxes are up 20% this year. Tracy says over the last 20 years, my municipal taxes have been double digit increases starting with core services and then you know, use your communication tools to take a look at your want list after you've locked in those core services. A lot of you are, are, are convinced that this is the Justice Minister, Tyler Shandro, trying to throw a couple smoke bombs following the revelations around his investigation with the Law Society. Uh, you remember this back when he was health minister, of course, the showing up on the driveway, yelling at the doctor, grabbing, you know, using his position, his privileged position to get phone numbers of members of the public and things like that. Uh, the Canadian press reporting on this yesterday. He faces a three-day law society disciplinary hearing in October for unprofessional conduct. That's Alberta's justice minister. That's the guy who wrote this letter. And then a whole bunch of you, I saw a bunch of comments back to back to back. A lot of you just saying this is politicking. Brenda says this is absolutely political. I saw Scarlett say the exact same thing. This is just Chandro politicking. Yeah, Lemon Tart says, I think it's a distraction by the minister after these revelations yesterday. Uh, Gilles again says this feels a lot like Chandro flexing because he was embarrassed by the media calling him out about lying about EPS funding. There's a trash talk uh, email, a submission that's going to kind of fit in nicely with this a little bit. It's it's along different lines, but it's the same sort of a thing. There's a lot of flexing going on right now for a government, a provincial government that's arguably in disarray. I mean, the, <laughs> a lot of like the party leader just media. resigned. And, and you're yeah. We'll get to that in just a second. Uh, we've got some business to take care of between now and then, and that includes reminding you that this weekend is a perfect chance for you to get out to a Dairy Queen in Sherwood Park on Baseline Road. You know, that's I learned the Baseline Road Dairy Queen in Sherwood Park is one of the top five busiest Dairy Queens. Like, revenue-wise, they are a top-five location in the country. I was just going to say, in, in the country or You were going to say what? In the metro Edmonton region? Yeah, no, in the Alberta? <clears throat> in the... No, in the country! Wow. You could argue it's because of their amazing staff whose faces explode into smiles when you let them know you're there because you heard about them on Real Talk. And then there's the Northwest Edmonton locations. My home turf, the Dairy Queen at Westmount. And then Palisades, Nemeo, and Newcastle. That's where you can pick up the Oreo Dirt Pie Blizzard Treat, a favorite with kids. The Cotton Candy Blizzard Treat. The Nestle Drumstick with Peanuts Blizzard Treat. That's my next one. Thinking that might be tonight. It's family pizza and a movie night. We're going to go grab blizzards. 
Maybe it'll be the very cherry chip blizzard treat. I don't know. All I do know is I'll be going to the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park to pick them up when I go. If I'm thinking solar, if you're thinking solar, maybe for your garden shed or your barn or your house or your cabin or your cottage or your industrial building, whatever it is, you're going to want to click on free quote today at kubienergy.ca. You can learn more about getting that free quote, which includes obviously the installation, the cleanest installations you ever did see. I encourage you to follow Kubi Energy on Instagram. You'll be able to see the work they do. They've got a great photographer that does their Instagram. Mm. But you're, you, I was talking earlier how you always like to have cables and everything lined up and nice and neat and tidy. You would love but don't go to them. The OCD. You, you would love, you would love yeah. working for Kubi Energy. And they're hiring right now, by the way, in some pretty senior positions. If oh, you're, really? Yeah, if you've got your ticket, knock it off, Hixie. If you're an installer, if you're an electrician, a journeyman, an apprentice, they're always hiring for their locations in Alberta and BC at Kubi Energy. At Infinity Healthcare, we had a chance, both John and I, to hang out with their team, to do a little socializing last week, put some some faces to names and, and learn a little bit more about what drives them. These are these are awesome folks. What an unbelievable crew. Yeah. And we're talking to their like licensed practical owners, their LPNs, their RNs, the registered nurses, and then we're talking to their customer care aides. And these are people that when they talk about what they do and how they help families, you can see it in their eyes. They care deeply about making sure that people are getting reliable premier care and community-based services. Did you know ever since April 1st, you've been able, there's a new government program, you can allocate public health dollars, dollars that would be going toward your family's home care, but you don't have to take the assigned health care provider. You can choose the one that think, you think is a best fit for your family. Infinity can take you through that process and get you all hooked up. You can find them at infinity-8.ca. Now, every Friday, this is a tradition. It's, it's how we wrap up our week. We give you a chance to blow off a little steam. Uh, we give you a chance to say what you need the world to hear uh, but maybe through a bit of a bigger amplification mechanism, if you know what I mean. It's an exercise we call Trash Talk! Yeah, that's right. Thanks to our friends at Local Environmental. We ramp things up, and it starts with this email from Melanie, who says, uh, this is a PSA for all... Oh, earmuffs, kids, by the way, uh, for the next three minutes or so. This is a PSA for all you grown-ass adults who work in grown-ass workplaces doing grown-ass jobs, but you can't keep your dirty dishes from piling up in the sink. It's disgusting. It's unclean. It's inconvenient. In fact, it's a pain in the ass, and I'm sick of it, says Melanie. I've done the good neighbor do your dishes for you thing I've done the leave a friendly note near the sink as a reminder thing I've even tried the passive aggressive non-verbal thing when I've seen the dishes dropped off by you and left in the sink this trash talk submission is my last straw starting Monday your dirty dishes are going in the garbage just try me that from Melanie. I love that, Melanie. How about this one? This one from Gerald, who says, uh, to whom it may concern, Oilers fans, as we creep closer to Stanley Cup glory, I feel the need to point out that the crowds downtown are getting bigger, louder, rowdier, and they're teetering on mob-like. And while most of the energy is positive, albeit somewhat drunken, I can see a time in the near future where it becomes you know, just maybe too much. Let's keep our wits about us. Let's cheer on our team, but refrain from being obnoxious or abrasive to our fellow citizens. I love the oil, says Gerald, just as much as the next fan. I love cheering them all the way to Lord Stanley's doorstep. I will indulge in a car flag, a throwback jersey, in a place of a suit of a work, in place of a suit at work, moving forward on game days and a few brews, even on the weekdays when they're playing. But. 
please don't burn this city to the ground like Vancouver does. <laughs> As we continue to achieve success moving toward the finals, we still remember what it looked like back on White Avenue in 06 and in the 80s during the dynasty years. White Ave's a beautiful place. I want to enjoy it through the summer as it is now. Not in ashes, says Gerald. This means businesses as well. We know they'll be jam-packed, understaffed, and slammed on game nights. Be kind, be cool, and all above else, above all else, stay classy, Edmonton. That from Gerald. I love it. I was tripping all over Gerald's words. Maybe because I was out celebrating last night. I don't know. That might be why. Gerald, I'm doing my best. How about this one? This one from Maurice. You load up that tweet for me. He says, this is a quick one for Brock Harrison, Jason Kenny's number one aide. Has anybody told this guy about the results of the leadership review? Is he aware that his guy got trounced again? An embarrassingly low return on the review. 51.4%. A resignation. A less than one and done legacy for Alberta's most embarrassing premier. Yet here's his lackey still throwing out his signature snark on Twitter, talking down to investigative reporter Charles Rusnell. Brock Harrison couldn't carry Rusnell's pen. Maybe if the architect of the disastrous best summer ever campaign wasn't such a smug, petty prick, he wouldn't have to call in favors every two years to fall into a new job. Maybe if that entire premier's office wasn't being run by jerks, they wouldn't have lost the room like they did. Food for thought, Brock. Now beat it. That from Maurice. (laughs) who says what he thinks and thinks what he says. And finally, this one from Jerry, who just snuck this in under the wire at a boy Jerry to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Wonder if you thought we'd miss it. We didn't, buddy. He says, we live in central Alberta, and there seems to be a sort of a deeply ingrained Alberta-Bama wild freedom convoy streak thing happening here on the daily. We still encounter many vehicles touting freedom convoy messaging, and the shitty part is that they're flying proudly Canadian flags in large numbers and it's been so prevalent, so pervasive, so aggressive, so unforgiving, and so in our fucking faces that anger is the first emotion we feel when we see these anti-vax, anti-mask, anti-government, chaos-loving, anarchy-wielding misfits forcing this bullshit down our throats. They attack us with words and imagery and slogans and lies and guilt and even with our own proud flag. And it's impossible to see a vehicle drive by with Canadian flags flying from the windows and my wife immediately not go, these idiots need to just fuck off and find something else to do already. What are they even protesting? What are they even doing? Don't they have jobs? They're ruining their children and they've even ruined our flag. And it's true, says Jerry. He says it's hard now to see a vehicle driving around with the Canadian flag and not immediately judge its occupants. And that really sucks. So we've got work to do as Canadians to retake our flag, to regain our confidence in our systems, and especially, says Jerry, to hold our politicians in this country that supported this attempted takeover to account. It's a slippery slope from serving coffee to truckers, just asking questions about vaccines, to just trying to save unborn children by banning abortion. Portion, says Jerry. We can't let the few hold the many hostage, so vote any and all of these fuckers out, says Jerry. Cheers, Real Talk fam, and go Oilers, go! All right, Jerry bringing the heat. 
I'm going to throw that in the hopper as a contender for email of the month. We'll see. You've still got time to talk at RyanJesperson.com. Coming up on Monday for his bi-weekly spot, despite the emergency conference we had with him just the other day, the Titan of Talk is back. Charles Adler will ask him how his Vegas vacation went. <laughs> Plus other news of the day. In the meantime, Real Talkers, have an amazing weekend. Don't forget to register for the Real Talk Golf Classic, June 23rd at the Ranch. All the details under the events link at ryanjesperson.com. Talk soon. One love. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Sterlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.